Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Rusty Quill presents The Actor Part 1 Colours in the dim quarter are notably subdued, just like its ambient light. This peculiar phenomenon, commonly known as the dimming, gives the quarter its name. Yet its cause remains an enigma. The overcast sky melds flawlessly with the silhouetted rooftops, while the dull stone of weary buildings merges with the ever-present mists that snake across the damp cobblestones. Amidst this backdrop, the quarter's inhabitants move, their spirits as dull as the grime beneath their weary feet. Scientists are largely left speechless by the dim, which contrasts sharply with the voluminous chatter of the neo-pagan set, who assume it to be nothing less than mystical in origin. Turning down the next lane, 
I thrust my hands into my pockets to escape the tiny fangs of cold biting at them. The folded piece of paper felt even colder where my fingers brushed it. A pale blue glow gripped the street from above, which I took for the moon. The street lamps were notoriously weak on that stretch, their typically amber lighting reduced to mere whispers of colorless illumination. Every one of the buildings in the quarter had a lean to them, lurching over the street as if eavesdropping on passers-by. Accordingly, I kept my thoughts quiet as I rounded the last corner to my destination, the sound of my footsteps sweeping drowsily across the pavement despite my brisk pace, suggesting a slow, tiresome gait caught in the wane of brightness and color. The apartment building had appeared years ago, overnight in fact. This is the world now, after all. Miracles are like pigeons. They're everywhere, and no one knows precisely where they come from. There wasn't much to do about the building, the newest unapologetic symbol of the spreading strangeness. The usual, almost ritualized circling of academics ensued. They came, shook their heads, and moved on to the next mystery, of which there was an unending procession. The pressing need for accommodations meant the city couldn't afford to let the building fall into decay or become yet another haunted relic. Instead, a developer purchased it and promptly turned it into low-income housing. I fit the criteria, so I secured an apartment. Its number scribbled on a paper slip in my pocket. I accepted without seeing it, recognizing that pretense of choice was superfluous. The building had a transient feel, almost disappearing into ever-present mists that lingered regardless of time of day. Though it seemed an ordinary enigma, I was soon to reside there and thus paid heed. Its design harbored a peculiar asymmetry, a distortion perceived mentally rather than visually. Shutting one's eyes in its presence, one could sense its jarring angles, its irregular weight pushing against the mind. The main entrance lacked a traditional door. In its stead, a heavy fabric curtain draped down to the worn threshold. Adjusting the brim of my Hamburg, dislodged by the curtain, I ventured into the mist-filled lobby. Everything within felt ancient, almost fossilized. The earlier sensation of misaligned symmetry transitioned to a tangible yet unseen ruggedness. Moving through felt akin to navigating a cramped corridor of jagged rocks. The light was muted, but seemed to emanate from a singular mysterious origin. At the lobby's heart sat a metallic booth, and within it lurked the building manager. It felt as if he was intrinsic to the place, never venturing beyond its confines. His piercing eyes evaluated me with discernible skepticism. I'm in 517. 
I relayed, showing him the paper from the housing agency. Uninterested in my note, he passed a key to me under the plexiglass partition, gesturing toward a stack of dilapidated stairs in the corner. As I began heading that way, he voiced a caveat. Only direct issues, he asserted preemptively. Plumbing, pests and the like. Don't bring me tales of dreams or other troubles. If you're here, you're privy to the reasons. His words confirmed whispers I'd heard, old occurrences within the building's walls. Though I'd come across haunted locales in the past, I'd never resided within one. My mind was placid as I ascended the stairs, partaking of a numbness that came from accepting absurdity. Perhaps it wasn't so much acceptance as merely blending into it all. For I too felt haunted and out of time, and perhaps even a bit asymmetric. The journey upward reminded me of so many other wizened flights I'd ascended, though most delivered me to far better outcomes than the one I closed upon. Initial sights invoked only a mild trepidation, reminiscent of the commonplace dread that colored our era. However, subsequent corridors evoked unease, suggesting hidden secrets amid their mists and shadows. Decay was evident, artfully mingled with the detritus of the building. The upper levels felt dimmer, with the muted hues and water stains creating an almost picturesque atmosphere, depending upon the beholder. For someone as scrutinized as I was, the shadows felt like a sanctuary. My room was barely distinguishable from a crumbling cavern, characterized by rotting wood and deteriorating plaster. It was distinct from the murk of the hallway, only in that it was darker and sealed away into less than a hundred square feet of space, which itself was narrowly divided between a bedroom, a bathroom, and a balcony. Eagerly, I opened the worn French doors leading out to my new outdoor perch. Although small and perhaps a bit too rickety, it supplied a view that was unprecedented for me. The dim quarter looked like a bruise on the cityscape, its feeble lights contrasting with neighboring zones. Below, mists gave the illusion of towering elevation. I stood there for some time. When I'd regained my energy from the long and winding climb to the room, I opened my bag and extracted the notebook and pen within. My screenplay was only in its infancy, 
a fledgling epic. But it held promise. I was certain of it. This certitude formed despite my being no more or less typical of my type. The actor who wanted nothing less than to operate from the other side of the camera. That said, I'd never seen a single camera throughout the entirety of my fairly extensive acting career, such as it was. Though I was sure they must have been present, as my feats on film were widely distributed. Long curving lines of people wait every day just to watch my exploits. I'd always assumed the absence of cameras just another tool of the trade, to maintain as much cinematic illusion as possible. I also couldn't help but wonder if it wasn't all just so much psychological manipulation. If we knew where the cameras were located, when exactly we were being watched, we might feel emboldened to flee. As I can personally attest, not knowing precisely when you're being watched feels exactly like you're always being watched. Though I can honestly say that I never entertained any notions of escape, I was only too glad to serve out my sentence as an actor. Before the storm of mysteries blew across the world, I was obsessed with acting. The art of being what one was not held some value for me, especially given my poor upbringing by unsavory and murderous custodians. Acting was also not ungiven to deeper ruminations concerning the self and its relationship to being, which occasionally helped me organize my feelings of disdain for myself and the world. My road to the performing arts crossed into some significant meditations, examinations that on more than one occasion forced me into centers for the disturbed, where I was served many unsuccessful remedies. Even then, acting had become something of a bastion for me. I'd realized that being was pretending. For me, if not all the world, which I somewhat suspect is in fact the case. The crimes I had committed on behalf of this sentiment were only logical. When they finally caught me, I was only too happy to pay for my misdeeds, if they could be called as such. While acting was the singular practice of criminals, serving civil society's entertainment needs, this wasn't to say the art suffered for the fact. We were all given extensive training during our time spent within the acting camps, where the performing arts were instructed in the strictest, harshest manner the state permitted. After passing various qualifying exams, we were issued our masks. Celebrity of any kind was outlawed, and no actor was allowed to reveal their identity on screen. The latter was essential to a fruitful post-acting existence. The less a person was recognized as having been a criminal, the easier their return to civilian life. I wore the mask of a coyote. Once received of our disguises, we were assigned our roles. 
I'd been selected for Dark Erotica, as I was found possessed of the appropriate looks and body type for the work. After that, everything was handled through the mail. I was informed in writing where to live and where to work, and I received various scripts and other instructions required for the parts I was to play. I was sent a monthly stipend, the smallest possible amount to live upon, Seeking or receiving any additional enrichment of any type was prohibited and punishable. My debut film was titled Blue House, which was shot using sets constructed within forsaken, presumably haunted, sites. In this story, the titular Blue House served as the location where a deceased wife hauntedly searched for her living husband. Their poignant last embrace led to an offspring, which she took to her grave. As the story goes, this progeny would eventually emerge from the cursed ground, its shrill cry resonating across the landscape. Given the state of the world, these tales seemed eerily plausible, making them apt fodder for cinema. I remember lying in that darkened second-story bedroom, the thunder and rain relentless overhead, straining to hear the actress's wet, naked footsteps upon the creaky wooden stairs. We were to make love for a moment, her covered in rain and soil and flower petals and I stripped of my bedclothes. The premise was that she'd been freshly sprung from the grave, in accordance with the legend. I had no line save for her character's name, Olivia. The door opened without warning, and in walked a woman. She wore no mask, only the spoiling remains of a face. I must have fainted. I had never done so in the past, and I've seen some things, you can rest assured. I awoke that morning naked and with terrible muscle pain, deep scratches crisscrossing my chest and back. I quickly dressed and checked the mailbox. The letter within simply read, Go home. Notably, Blue House was never screened, at least not formally. Yet there were rumors of a copy surviving in private ownership. To this day, I hear the occasional mention of the Blue House tape. In the middle of a terrible thunderstorm, a man makes love to a beautiful woman's living corpse. Thankfully, I've never met anyone who's actually watched it. While all actors are criminals of varying range, the screenwriters are free citizens. 
In fact, the entertainment industry is quite lucrative as it applies to the nameless screenwriters. Nameless because all celebrity was forbidden, even that of law-abiding citizens. Many of them earn amounts that are flush with a state cap on wealth. This was my quest, to earn my way with words. Inspired by my lofty view, I had resolved to renew my writing while finishing out the remainder of my sentence. Channeling the ambient gloom of my state-afforded space into carnal romances and entombed desires. My work as a man of doomed passion and shadows informed my prose with no small amount of realistic futility, of both love and life. I had only just set my work aside for the evening when a note slipped beneath my door. It was no less common to receive my orders from under the door than from my mailbox. I suspected it had more to do with the caprice of the individual courier than any signifier of substance. As were all my written instructions, the note was brief and to the point. It said, You are the devil, up from the depths, summoned for pleasure and pacts. Dress the part. Upon entering room 612, say the following to the assembled. I have loved more than most, savored the crush of innocence against my skin. Longed for lust's completion. Love is the most valuable lure, and its pursuit has led more than one soul to my gates. Love and joy and wonder, all the evil that goodness has afforded me. I was surprised and grateful that the role did not carry me far from my new home as room 612 was only a single floor above me. I was also slightly curious if the pageantry of splendid, artistic, decay continued upward, the additional height corresponding with an equally elevated aesthetic. As previously mentioned, I was not given a penny more than my health necessitated, so I was sorely without proper makeup effects. Though, occasionally, I would find a small trunk of props and even costumes accompanying the slip of paper supplying my acting obligations. This was, unfortunately, not the case tonight. But improvisation was the hallmark of any good actor, and for the next hour or so I busied myself preparing for the role with the limited materials at my disposal. It all came down to how I would choose to construct my idea of the devil, as there were many incarnations, and accordingly, many ways to array the role. The devil, as I understood the creature, was a form of beautiful temptation that could only result in a sullied soul, a rose in a tar pit waiting to be plucked. Given this understanding, 
and that I was chosen for my roles on account of my phantasmal attractiveness, which the building's shadows and ruin would only magnify by matter of contrast, I decided to heighten even further my physical appeal. The crumbling plaster of the walls functioned well enough to whiten my skin a bit, even though I was already as pale as one who lived only by moonlight. To highlight my eyes, which were a glassy blue, I merely applied a small dilution of ink from my pen, tracing dark circles around them, effectively eradicating any sign of skin between them and the edges of the eye holes in my mask. My hair was long and straight, filled with a darkness that seemed deep blue under the right lighting. All that was needed here was to pull some locks down over the front of my shoulders, adding even more contrast to my white powdered body. I also found it befitting the role to add some additional color to my lips, which were generally quite pale and plainly visible beneath the muzzle of my disguise. A few drops of blood from pricking my thumb did nicely to brighten them, and the unevenness of their application gave my mask a tousled elegance that complemented the wickedness of my appearance. For wardrobe, I decided to fashion a small cape from the curtains above the French doors. They were filled with many spiders and interweaving webs beaded with various fly and roach husks, which I thought an excellent touch for the part. I imagined the prince of below would most likely go about bearing some sort of accoutrement, so I wrenched free a baluster from the wrought iron railing of my balcony. A crooked length of rusted metal surmounted by an arrow-like flourishing. It served as a handsome scepter indeed. The hour was sufficiently late, so my strolling largely naked through the hallway went unnoticed. I was pleased to see that the upper floor was undeniably more robust, with smartly applied rot and darkness, my immersion into my role becoming more complete for the fact. The intervening corridors seemed to possess their own gravity, hurrying me along. And although cognizant of managing my own speed and direction, I felt slightly assisted in my journey. The burden of navigating the entirely unlit sections of hallway alleviated, my tread appreciably lightened. I didn't know if the candle set out in rows upon the floor was supplied by my ever-unseen benefactors or by other tenants. Whatever the case, the lining of lights began and ended within the hallway containing my destination, room 612. Moving into the flickering smolder, I fully entered character, affecting a regal but dragging gait through the dancing shadows of my approach. 
My instructions said nothing regarding the method of my entrance, whether I should knock upon the door or simply enter. Reasoning that the devil should prefer to go where he pleased, without invite or permission, I flung the door wide. Inside crouched a cluster of three women clad in thinnest veils of draping silks, their faces masked by hawk, dove, and owl, respectively. They bore long, curving daggers in their left hands, and they huddled at the foot of a small altar. The corpse of a coyote lay stretched across its length, having ostensibly died from repeated applications of their reddened blades. The room itself was oddly recessed into the darkness, appearing not unlike the opening of a cave the light touching only its curved surfaces to create the effect. Movie-making was as much about magic <laughs> as anything else. After reciting my lines, the women ran their palms across their blades and crawled across the floor to meet me, their bodies lithe and smooth, showing gracefully through their fleeting garments. They surrounded me, Scraping at my feet, lifting their red right hands to my naked body, singing in sweet voices. The songs were sung in neo-pagan, or noctumese, as I've heard it called, a sort of corruption of Latin. While I couldn't understand the words, I found it beautiful all the same. After pulling me down amongst them, they slowly and softly ran their knives across my chest, and took turns placing their lips to the resulting superficial wounds. I couldn't help but wonder how the instructions for the scene had been worded upon their slips of paper. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content, such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm hmm. 